Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. Also going to chat with Christina Sikiatis with some tips for innovation. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Janine Wilson from Baker Love Lawyers about protection of your business confidential information. Good afternoon, Janine. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you once again for joining us. No problem. So resigning as a director and then setting up a new company to compete with the same industry is is quite common, I understand. Yeah, we see this all the time, um, but very few cases ever reach litigation in the Supreme Court. But uh, last week, the New South Wales Supreme Court handed down a really interesting decision about what happens in these circumstances. Um, so, yeah, that's what I thought it might be of interest to listeners. Well, let's tell us what, what happened in this case. Okay, so there was a company in Sydney that specialised in student accommodation facilities in Ultimo, near where the universities are. Mm -hmm. They'd worked on that business over many years, I think up up to around 10 years. It had two directors, and over the course of the 10 years, uh, they developed a specialised software program for being able to book beds in their facilities, and they also developed some operations manual and a systems manual. Mm. So all good so far. One of the directors decided he wanted to leave the business, which is not unusual. That happens all the time. Um, The directors agreed to enter into a deed of settlement, which set out the terms of that director's exit from the business. Mm -hmm. That's also normal. So part of of the deed provided for the director's resignation and return of all the company documents and all the company's confidential information. It also required the leaving director to delete any records of confidential information that he had on his personal device as well. Okay. So So, uh, what what did the leaving director then do then? uh, Well, this deed took about six months to negotiate for his exit. So while that was happening, in the background, he's gone ahead and set up a new company with he and his wife. He's also probably not too cleverly, emailed himself copies of the software programs, the systems manual, and the operations manual for the business. He emailed those to his wife and to his personal email address. And then surprisingly enough, uh, one day after the deed is agreed for his exit from the business, he comes on the market with a business in student accommodation facilities in the same suburb in Sydney. Mm. So as you can imagine, the first company were none too pleased. And, of course, this is quite typical, isn't it? People do that a lot. They do, um, but in this case, the first company was very upset about this (laughs) and because it's a small suburb and a a pretty small market and a niche market in what they do, they were very upset that they felt that they'd been taken for a ride by their former director. So so what could that company do to get their property back? It's intellectual property, isn't it? Uh, Yes, yeah, it is mainly, but what they did was um, they approached the Supreme Court for what's called an Anton Pillar order. Um, That's basically a search order. So you can approach the court with some evidence and say, I think this person has confidential information that belongs to me. Here's my evidence in support of that. And the court can make an order that an independent person attends their house or their business premises and searches through their documents and their computers. Um, In this case, they had an independent computer expert come along and do a search all over their former director's computers and all these mobile devices as well. So you've got us in suspense. What did they find? Uh, All manner of things. They found all the emails that he'd received from the former company that he'd emailed himself. They also searched his wife's computer. She had all of these operations manuals on her computer as well, and they'd also been... She'd gone ahead and changed them all to suit what their new business was going to be. So it was basically word for word what the other manuals had. 
pretty well. They yeah. swapped the name from the previous company to the new company. Um, and they'd added, from time to time, they added some new text as well, but there was huge amounts copied directly from the previous documents. So so getting that sort of an order where you can get in and have a search, is that a, that expensive process? It can be, yes. I mean, you have to approach the court without the other party knowing, so you need to prepare your own evidence. You need to get a barrister. You need to get some independent experts that can do these searches for you. There's no point you going along yourself without an expert to search through somebody's computer because it, you just wouldn't know where, mm-hmm. where things can be found. So they can be. And the, and the other factor is that, as in this case, that search order um, spurred on a lot of other Supreme Court litigation, which in itself is expensive. So what was the director's excuse for finding all this information? Um, well, he tried a few uh, crafty arguments that I haven't actually seen used before. He said in the first instance that some of the documents that he had that were in the operations manual couldn't be confidential to the previous company because in, as part of their ordinary course of business, these, some of these documents were handed out to guests that stayed in the facilities. So he said because they were in the public domain, they couldn't be confidential anymore, which is an interesting one. And then the other thing he tried to say was in a case where he'd copied large slabs of the document into a new document and he'd swapped the company name and he'd also added some of his own text to that, he said that created some sort of hybrid document that was completely different to the confidential documents mm. of the previous company and it didn't fall within what he needed to return. Mm. So, so what did the court do about that? Uh, the court didn't like either of those explanations. Um, mm. The court said that even though little parts of the business manual, like guest checklists and those sorts of things, were handed out to guests from time to time, that didn't mean that the entire operations manual couldn't still be classed as a confidential document. The court said lots of effort had been put in over the years to create you know, something that regulated their business and how it had an edge over other businesses, and all of those components were still treated as a whole. So that, that dealt with the first one. And the court also found that the hybrid document argument wasn't going to get them anywhere either Mm. just because it had a new title or some slight amount of new text it was still essentially using the confidential information of the previous company and there's a furphy myth out there that uh, people believe if they change 20 percent it's okay isn't there yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's not the case <laughs> following on from this decision. No. I mean, in some of the cases, all that they had done was change one company name to the other, but there were more extensive changes made in some of the documents, yeah. but they still found that they were belonged, should have remained the property of the first company. And, of course, all of this would have been a breach of his duties as a director, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. Part of the claim that they made was that he did breach the statutory duties that you have under the Corporations Act to put the interests of the company that you're a director of before your own. Mm. There's some prohibitions in the Act that you can't use information of the company for your own personal benefit or the benefit of anyone else at the expense of the company. Um, So basically the two things that got him in trouble there were emailing that information out while he was still a director of the first company and he also engaged his wife to start making some calls to existing clients of the first company to use them as drumming up business for his new company. And both of those things he did while he was still a director, and that's very bad. So he got in trouble for breaching those duties under the Corporations Act as well. So, I mean, although he was a director, this same sort of thing does happen with employees sometimes too, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely it does. And uh, it's obviously important, therefore, for organisations to protect their intellectual property. Yes, yeah. It's certainly the deed that these two directors entered into is, was an excellent start. Yeah. Um, and 
based on the decision that's been handed down, these sorts of tricky ways of trying to get out of those deeds is not going to go very well in no. the future. It's a really good decision from that, that point of view. Great. Well, thanks for your time, Janine. We might that's have a right. chat with you again another time. All right. No problem. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Janine Wilson there from Baker Love Lawyers. Uh, how important it is to protect your intellectual property. And whether it be director or employees, you just need to make sure that other people are not going to use it. You're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. It's 23 minutes past one. Time to pop over to Christina for our Minute on Innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Hello, Julian. How are you? I'm well in yourself. Very good. It's, it's nice, a beautiful sunny, day outside. Beautiful sunny afternoon, isn't it? And it is. And we can expect it for the next couple of days, but then a bit of rain's coming in on Sunday, I'm afraid. Oh, the rain doesn't worry me. I just don't want any more cold snaps. I'm um, cold averse. Saturday we're expecting up to 27 degrees, so that will be Oh, nice. my goodness. <laughs> but we'll see how we go. Okay, so we're going to talk today about some tips for innovation. Yeah, so six tips. Quick tips for innovation teams, um, which are reasonably simple to, to put into practice, I think. So first of all, if you're going to put um, a team together, that's going to be your innovation's brain trust, diverse group of people. As we've spoken about before, yeah. the best ideas come when you mix the mix the professions, mix the ideas, mix the different departments up. And add so, some customers. Pardon? And add a few customers as well. Add a few, yeah, absolutely, because they've got the they've got the best information as far as the customer experience goes. And everybody, I saw something really interesting this morning. It had um, if we have happy a uh, happy workforce, we have happy customers. If we yeah. have happy customers, we have a happy workforce. Wow. And what a constant cycle that is, you know. And it's it's one of those no brainers um, that people actually don't, I believe, don't pay enough um, attention to. And then of course so, we are happy thing. too. We are, well, as, as owners, as you know, there's, there's something to be said for, you know, those really positive, happy vibes. We, we spend lots of time talking about what happens when things go bad. Yeah. We don't actually go, you know, here's what happens when everything is rolling and everybody's happy and the ideas are flowing and everything's coming together because that's what happens with positive thought and positive reinforcement. Yeah. Um, so first thing, have a, have a diverse team, have the customers in there, absolutely. You know, have... Some of your marketing people there, have your sales people there, have your research and development people there, depending on what kind of organisation you are. Um, the second thing which I believe is really important is to allow those team members to have personal conversations. So allow them to get to know each other because it's empathy for colleagues, empathy for, for clients, empathy for each other. That's where we get our best work from and that's mm. where we're feeling most connected. So allow people to have personal conversations. Yeah. within the workplace. They're, they're quite important, you know, and that way people will bring their whole selves to work instead of instead of just their business self because we're getting into, we're moving into an age where we, we want to be whole and we want to share everything that we've got. Um, hence, the, you know, the connected communities that are, that are popping up everywhere. Mm. Um, have some fun, you know, just, we've spoken about this before, laughing, smiling, the side effects of having fun and relieving the stress, improving immunity, Soothing tension, you know, those people that have lately been through um, processes where where um, organisations have scaled down and there's redundancies and everything else on offer, and there's a few of them going through it now. That that fear, that unknown, you know, that that whole tension in the workplace is really, I mean, it's it's terrible. It creates dreadful vibes. It mm. kills any workplace productivity. Have some fun at work. It's, mm. You know, fun and work don't need to be. Um, juxtaposed against each other, they can actually be 
part of the same thing. So really, really important to be able to do that. Ping pong tables have not been put in staff rooms to create ping pong champions. Mm. You know, some of the best conversations can happen happen over a ping pong table or over a pizza or whatever it is. Um, the other thing that's very important is that no one wants to feel that they're, they're on a road to nowhere with some of their ideas or their contributions. So we all want to feel like we belong. We have still have a, um, an underlying tribal um, feeling right. of community. And so if you feel that your ideas are valued and if you feel like you're contributing to an organisation or a community... Best thing for productivity, best thing for that innovation team to be going forward. You know, mm. have a morning tea where people can have a conversation. Create an environment where the team's valued. Um, very important. Um, successful teams are backed. You know, they've, they've got a hearing with the managers. They've got a hearing with the CEOs of the organisation. Mm. So if you've got an innovation team, grant them a hearing once a month. What kind of things have they been coming up with? Where can their, where can their thoughts, their research, their productivity, where, where can it lead to? Have they got a great marketing line? Have they got a great idea for a new product? Which customer problem have they solved? You know, give them a hearing. Let them understand that you are listening to what they're saying. Uh, and just that the whole company approach when it comes to an innovative culture. You know, tending tending each member of that team, tending all the all the members of your different silos in organisations. Yeah, um, cool. Having them come together with ideas, boards and everything, really super important. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for that. And now, obviously, it all starts at the top, doesn't it? It, it does. <laughs> there is a really good saying, isn't there, Julian? The fish stinks from the head <laughs> down. <laughs> we'll, t- we'll talk with you next week. Okay, look forward to it. Have Thank a great you. week. Bye-bye. Bye. Christine Sikiati is there with a few tips on helping us make our innovation work. Well, it's 28 minutes to two. We've got time for a Harvard Business Review tip. And uh, this one's a very important one. Going to networking events is uh, is very effective for our businesses, but it's often not easy. And this uh, article was taken from a book, Networking When You Hate Talking to Strangers by Dory Clark. Make networking events easier. The benefits of networking, meeting new people and learning interesting new ideas are invaluable. But if you, like many others, hate to have to initiate awkward conversations with strangers, find an approach that makes you comfortable. You could try bringing a friend. When you have a wingman to help you highlight your accomplishments at the events, it can give you the confidence you need to approach others. Just avoid spending the entire time talking to that person. Secondly, maybe preparing a few opening lines. Develop a few questions to help you kickstart a dialogue. What, what business are you in? What challenges do you have at the moment? What's the coolest thing you're working on right now? How do you spend most of your time? How did you hear about this event? Just by asking a couple or a few of those questions can get that a conversation going and people will talk back to you. And finally, researching in advance. It's easier to talk to someone if they don't feel like a stranger. Looking up speakers and attendees ahead of time will help you come up with topics of conversation. So there's just a couple of interesting points there, but certainly uh, attending networking functions uh, can be very beneficial to your organisation. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Uh, we've looked at uh, the protection of your business confidential information and how important it is with particularly people leaving the organisation and setting up in competition. We've also had a look at a couple of uh, tips there for developing your innovation team. And in a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. 
Next week, we're going to visit the world of insurance again with Markey Insurance. We'll have a minute on innovation with Christina Sikiotis and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Mahatma Gandhi once said, life is an endless series of experiments. <laughs>